Coming up on Tech Nation, you'll learn how to draw on the radio. Yep, you heard that right. And not just any drawing. It's about visualizing the stability of your past, your experience today, and the future that awaits you. Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy, joins me to talk about Vic the Virus, the simple drawings which show what the COVID-19 pandemic looks like from the virus's perspective. We'll also talk about how he's writing his upcoming book, The Pop-Up Pitch. He's inviting all nonfiction writers to write their books along with him. All this and more coming up on this week's Tech Nation. Let's take five with Moira Gunn. This is Five Minutes. In 2010, I was able to speak with Stanford Communications professor Dr. Cliff Nass, the author of The Man Who Lied to His Laptop, What Machines Teach Us About Human Relationships. In studying people and computers, Dr. Nass had come to believe that the human brain can't distinguish between interacting with humans and interacting with technology. Well, it's exactly right, and it was a real surprise to everybody. When we started out, we thought, like everyone else, that computers are tools, and we treat them like tools, etc. And then first, just watching people, and then in over 100 systematic studies, we found, to an incredible degree, people use the same rules and expectations when working with a computer that they do with a person. And they're really nice to their own computer, <laughs> for the most part, unless they're dysfunctional. Okay, That's a disclaimer. <laughs> well, they're nice to everybody's computer, or to the extent they're nice to other people as well. Basically, they treat people treat computers with the same personality and the same emotions and the same feelings that they treat other people. And it's not just the technology we use. It also extends to cartoon characters. I mean, Homer Simpson isn't real. There is no Miss Piggy. They're real. Cliff. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, we uh, when we were thinking about what characters to use in Microsoft Office, one of the ones we thought about was Bart Simpson. We thought that would be a perfectly good character. Except he's spreading showed... little things around your computer. <laughs> exactly. When we showed it to people, people said, we hate Bart Simpson. I said, well, he's one of the most popular characters. They said, yeah, but you can't trust him. God knows what he'd do. And we <laughs> yeah. said, you know, well, it would be deployed by a company. They wouldn't allow this to happen. They said, we know, but, you know, he's tricky. You never know what's going to happen. So it actually was the least popular out of the hundred characters we tried. And Miss Piggy has to take up a lot of disk space <laughs> yeah. and a lot of cycles just because she needs them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably what they ended up with was Clippy, one of the most hated cartoon characters, even though it just appeared on your computer screen of all time. That's right. And, and in fact, the super strong, powerful negative responses to Clippy show how social this is. When you ask people, why do you hate Clippy so much? The answers were, well, he ignores me. He's impolite. He bothers me when he shouldn't, which are all sort of social problems, not technical problems. And so, in fact, when we decided to fix Clippy, we went to social solutions. And what did you do? Well, we looked around for how do the most hated people get liked eventually? And the answer was to find a scapegoat. So what... Ooh. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is good stuff. Because you never know when you're going to be hated. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So what we did was we had um, Clippy, if he would answer a question, Clippy would say, did I get that right or not? And if people would say wrong, he would say, a little word balloon would pop up, and it's, he would say, that gets me really angry. Let's tell Microsoft how bad their help system is. We're on the same side. Exactly. And he would pop up an email, and as you were typing, and it would say to customer support for help, you know, your system needs work. And as the person was typing, Clippy would say, come on, you can be more direct than that. Let them have it. <laughs> and in fact, people left the room. Everyone loved Clippy. We had them saying, we adore Clippy. We wish Clippy were in every piece of software. Unfortunately, because it didn't serve Microsoft very well, they didn't deploy it. Well, they not only didn't deploy it, they actually eliminated Clippy. Right. They even let people shoot him with staples. Oh, no. but... <laughs> In acknowledgement of their relationship with Exactly. Clippy. But it's because Clippy lacks social skills. It wasn't really his performance as a technical expert. But it's a little difficult as a company to say, hey, let me have it. Tell me what's wrong. That's <laughs> right. So we, mean it. <laughs> we've worked on a lot of other strategies as well. In fact, you know, in the design of over 200 technology products and services, we figured out what are the effective social rules? How can we use social rules to make computer much more likable, polite, trustworthy, etc. You've been listening to a 2010 Tech Nation interview with Stanford professor Dr. Cliff Nass, the author of The Man Who Lied to His Laptop, What Machines Teach Us About Human Relationships. Professor Nass passed away in 2013. He would have loved to see us all now in this time when we are suddenly adapting video meetings. His contribution would no doubt have been valuable. I'm Moira Gunn. This is 5 Minutes. 5 Minutes is produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. 5 Minutes is a production of Tech Nation Media. I'm Paul Lancourt. From San Francisco, I'm Moira Gunn. And this is Tech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, get out your paper and pens. You're going to learn how to draw on the radio. Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy, joins me to talk about communication in our current times, telling the story of Vic the Virus, the COVID-19 pandemic from the virus's standpoint. And yes, he's actually having a straw. I'm as dumbfounded as you. And now, Dan Rome. Well, Dan, welcome back to Tech Nation. Moira, it's such a pleasure. So good to see you again. It's good to see you. And nobody can see this, but we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. And we're in two studios next to each other. And I can wave. I'm going to wave now. There's our wave. (laughs) But it's a little like a soap opera with only one camera where we're both faced in the same direction. (laughs) Nobody can see. They're not faced together with two cameras. Looks like a conversation. So occasionally I may turn around and or you just say, Moira, turn around and I'll do it. I'll do it. But we're both in our very, very safe space and separate spaces. And um, I'm just so glad you were able to come in. And uh, this is going to be really good today. Uh, Now, you're totally known, of course, for drawing pictures, describing ideas, complex situations, and even emotions and, and everyday occurrences. And everyday occurrences today, I mean, 
we're all, most of us, many of us, uh, if we are not sheltering in place, we, um, we're very close to it. Things are just opening up, and we're not sure what's going to happen. How do you want to think about that? How do you think of drawing that in pictures as opposed to writing it in words or talking about it? I don't know anybody who's drawing it in pictures. Well, Moira, do you think we could get uh, your listeners to draw a little bit with us? And instead of my just talking about it, maybe we can get everybody to draw a little with us and think through visually what quarantine and COVID and the new world might look like? There's always a trick with you, Dan. <laughs> yes. And I have paper here. I have paper. You can hear it here. Hear that? <laughs> I hear your paper. I have some, too. I came equipped. <laughs> well, you're better than me, but uh, I always have paper to write on, and I have my pen. And so uh, we'll talk a little about some other questions I have, and then a little bit we'll get going on drawing. That just sounds, that sounds like a great idea. Now, you know, you were supposed to be on just before the COVID pandemic broke here in San Francisco. And we just, I mean, it happened. We were shut down suddenly and couldn't figure out how to do anything. And we were all, we were all pretty much shocked and scared, I have to say. But of course, you immediately went to work and with your brother, Carl Malamud Rome, uh, and with uh, Lloyd Dangle, all of you were supposed to be on to talk about uh, something you were developing called Vic the Virus. Who's he? Yeah, Moira, thank you for that. And you're right. And I want to share with you that story. Before I do, I just wanted to give you a big thank you. This is actually the first out-of-my-house meeting I've had with anybody in eight weeks. And even if we're hermetically sealed in two different sound studios, it was such a delight to get out of the house to go to a meeting. Remember in the <laughs> old days when we used to do that? So this is the first. I'm going to take this as a sign of things kicking off into a happier future. So remembering back seven or eight weeks ago, you nailed it. Uh, COVID came on. Well, I don't know want necessarily want to say super quickly because those of us who do a lot of international travel were already impacted by the fact that this disease had picked up in Asia. And a couple of trips that I was supposed to go on had been canceled. And I remember it was, in fact, here in San Francisco on Chinese New Year. I had dinner with my brother, Carl. And uh, I was asking him, hey, Carl, when will we know if this COVID thing is going to have such impact that we here in the United States might even need to worry? And I remember Carl saying, two weeks, give it two weeks, then we will know. Well, Carl turned out to be right, because two weeks after that was when uh, quarantine started. And right away, everybody, of course, myself, I freaked out, like everybody I know. What does this mean? We've never seen anything like this before. And there was a lot of fear, and you. Will we couldn't have Moira. you in the yeah. studio. We were like, no, oh, we don't. In. We don't. Oh, wait a minute. How we? How are four of us going to be in this studio together? These are airtight. You know, there's. It's like it's meant to have no noise in the background. It's. How could that be? We we can't do this. Just and like that. one after another. Yeah. So I remember being afraid, and I thought, well, as I've done all my life, as you've pointed out, um, one of my ways of engaging with the world is by trying to draw pictures of it. It helps me process and understand what's going on. So my brother, Carl, who is a Berkeley PhD in uh, vector control, so mosquito-borne diseases in particular, I called up Carl and I said, hey, can we tell a story using visuals about the virus? And let's tell it in a slightly different way because we don't know anything about the virus. And there's so much information out there about wear a mask or don't wear a mask or stay home or don't stay home or go to a meeting. It was all very confusing, remember, back to the early days. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could come up with a simple visual story 
that would explain this. And here's where we did something a little different, Moira. Let's tell the story from the virus's point of view. So we came up with a character. We called him Vic the Virus. And I realized at that time that an individual uh, virion is what it's actually called. Any virus has many, many virions. So we said, let's tell the story of what the virus is trying to do from the virus perspective. And I remembered from long ago, back when I was doing strategy training, everybody always cites Sun Tzu and the art of war. And there was one quote in particular that resonated with me where Sun Tzu had said something to the effect that if you want to beat your enemy, you have to know your enemy. You have to go into the mind of your enemy. And I thought, hey, Carl, then I called another friend of mine, Lloyd Dangle, who you mentioned, who's an award-winning cartoonist I used to work with decades ago here in San Francisco at an old newspaper, the San Francisco Bay Guardian. We got back together and said, why don't we take that Sun Tzu inspiration and draw out the story of what the virus is trying to do. And knowing that, might we find a little bit of calm in all this craziness and worry, because we would get the perspective of saying, it's not just some invisible enemy that's out to get us, but if we understand what it's trying to do, maybe we'll be able to figure out how we should react. So we drew it up, and it was very powerful, Moira. 32 slides, many parts of them just hand-drawn, 32 slides. I was, I was shocked when I, I saw it the other day. Yeah, it was a good little story, and what we did is we posted it online, and we had hundreds and thousands of views everywhere from LinkedIn to SlideShare, uh, and then an amazing thing happened. All of us have contacts around the world, and people started writing into us saying, this is one of the best simple visual descriptions we've seen of what the virus is trying to do and how that might help us react. Can you just give us the source file and we'll translate it? So as far as I know, at this point, translations have been done um, in Spanish, in Chinese, in Hindi. I know of Thai, I believe French, I believe Russian. And so what was great is having this sense that although the virus is locking us all down at home and many of us are feeling a sense of despair or just uh, pure terror, we can move ahead by telling this story, and it's helping other people, and it helps us, and it's getting the message out. So again, Mara, it just goes to the power of a simple story told well with simple pictures. Okay, let's get to some pictures. So you're going to have us draw, huh? I got my paper here. I got my pen. What's what's up first here? Okay, so one thing that we all need to warm up on is when was the last time any of us drew? <laughs> so for most people, last and I I do this a lot at conferences. Back in the old days, we went to conferences asking people, what was the last thing you drew? And most people remember something back in kindergarten. And then someone had told them, what is that drawing of? They said it's a dog. They said that's a terrible looking dog and the person never drew again. Well, we're going to get over that. So we're going to draw some simple pictures. And Moira, I think what we should do is let's draw pictures that help us think about how we're dealing with COVID. I mean, that's front and center for us still. And the pictures we draw today might be something really interesting to look at in some months in the future and reflect back after we get through this where our minds were now. How does that sound to you? I love it. I love it. We didn't expect to be here, and uh, we won't be here forever, but let's figure out where we are now. Yeah. Let's start with that. Let's figure out exactly right where we are now. Everybody uh, grab a paper and a pen or a pencil, 
And the first drawing we're going to do, we'll call it a where drawing. So think about this as a map. So let's make it real simple. I'd like everybody to draw kind of a bird's eye view of a map of the place in which you are living during quarantine. Is it your house? Is it your condo? Is it your apartment? Are you maybe in a tent somewhere? Whatever it is, I'd like everybody to just draw a simple little map. Maybe start with a box that represents the outer walls of your home. And then maybe inside that box, draw a couple of other lines. Where's, where's the doorway? Where's the big window? Where are you sitting in this room? Maybe there's a little box you would draw for a desk, which is where you sit. And you know what, Moira, let's put you, let's put ourselves in there too. Draw a little circle mm -hmm. that just represents yourself, kind of looking down from the top on where you spend most of the time in this quarantine map. Ooh, that's a good question. So I would say desk, it's, it's yeah. what we call command central. <laughs> command Central. Command Central. My friends call it that. I, have a, I want to come visit your house. I want to see Command Central. I want to see Moira's Command Central. If you come yeah. out of my kitchen and you walk, you're right next to it is the sort of breakfast room, TV room combo. There's not a lot of room there, but there's a big old, and I mean 20-year-old overstuffed chair, big red, used to be red. Now it's all kinds of colors, it seems, and an ottoman. And uh, you can watch television there. You can put your food on the on the uh, uh, little ottoman. You can talk to people. You can put your feet up. You know, so I'm going to be right there at Command Central. Are you drawing all that in your map? I'm you better be. I want to see okay. that ottoman. I'm going to see your map. And, and hey, Moira, could we ask people to share their drawings later on? You betcha. Because we want betcha. to see what people are drawing. I want to see everyone's. You know what? Let's let's take the Moira perspective. Everyone on your map, I want you to draw a location that's called Command Central. That's the place <laughs> where you spend most of your time. I almost in put it on the bed, but no, Command Central. <laughs> now, just, one more thing. Yeah. One one more thing on this drawing. If you're someone who's lucky enough, or perhaps unlucky enough. To not be quarantining alone. So for most of us, it's delightful to have some of our friends and family around. For others, it might be tricky. You never know. But go ahead and draw at least a couple of other circles, if there are other people occupying your quarantine zone with you. Where, where those, who those people are, just give it a little label, and where are they sitting in that space when oh, you whoops, are in I forgot Central. to put in the kitchen. Well, I'll, I'll do some redrawing here. Okay. We got Don't forget the here. kitchen. Wait, <laughs> yeah. your command central isn't in the kitchen? I think my, No, my command central is in this little breakfast room next to the kitchen. But it's okay. I, I got the kitchen in. I did some quick redying. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Okay. Okay. So now, how's your drawing going, Moira? It's hey, going Moira, pretty good. Can you turn good. around and show me your drawing? I'm Hold gonna, your drawing here up it in is. there. I want to see. What do you think? And I have the little dot there. Oh, it's perfect. Command central with the little arrow in. Me sitting on the chair with it. Okay. There you are. We're good. Command right. central. So that'll be called the command central drawing. I love that. I like that. Okay. So that's our little warm up. So let's think about that from a visual perspective. Let's just reflect for a moment on what we just did. Um, all of us are used to maps. You know, some of us love them more than others. All of us certainly have ways of thinking about the space in which we which we occupy. And I'm curious, you know, something just to reflect on for everybody. How did it feel to draw that map? Was it hard? Was it easy? 
Was there something you gravitated towards really quickly? Maybe the circles that represented people or the door or the window? It's a really interesting little exercise, Moira, because what we've just done by drawing this simple little map is, in fact, the exercise that myself and my colleagues go through all the time when we're working with people in education or in science or in business or in technology, helping them create maps of their own ideas. And we go through exactly the same process. So uh, it's just a really good warm-up. Well, let me ask you, Moira, as you were drawing that map, mm-hmm. did w- what crossed your mind? Uh, did you see new things or think about spaces? You mentioned you, you'd forgotten your kitchen. What? Just reflect for a moment. How did that feel to you? Well, I felt badly when I forgot my kitchen because I spent a lot of time there, too. <laughs> but but uh, it, it's interesting for me. It's interesting for me, at least, you know, just sort of where I wander through here, where I am and what time, what where do I spend what time? And uh, I have a few different places that I spend it. But this has really become sort of my zone. In so many ways, it hasn't changed from what I've normally done. But I don't have a lot of choice right now. No, we don't. We don't. So um, let's do another drawing. But Moira, would you like to talk about some other things first, or should we pivot straight over? Pivot. Listen to me talking all Silicon Valley. Shall Ooh. we pivot to the next drawing? Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. And um, and let's let people squiggle a little on that drawing. And let me ask you about something else, because it, it kind of falls into uh, to our life today, Unexpectedly. One thing that's happened in this pandemic, I have to say, is the constant use of online meetings. People say to me, I'm all Zoomed out, and yet they're saying, and when can we have a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangout or a GoToMeeting or a Skype, and the list goes on. Now we have a lot more of these things, and we're able to see each other. Um, How does drawing present uh, an opportunity here, and how is it different from what we used to do? Oh, my gosh, Moira, what a fabulous question. The the question. Oh. So you mentioned I'm working on a new book. It's called The Pop-Up Pitch. The genesis of this idea was after a decade of helping people in business and education and science, sales, become more clear in their own thinking through drawing, I am getting this real resonating request. Dan, how do I take these pictures and and turn them into a simple story that I can use for a presentation of my idea or a pitch or to convince someone of a new concept or to share with someone a new a new theory. And so I started to work on this book called The Pop-Up Pitch, the idea being there is a program that I've been working on where in about two hours, very concentrated amount of time, I can help walk you through 10-page story. That's all that's required. Think If you're a PowerPoint person, you could think of it as 10 slides in a PowerPoint, if you're a Google Docs person, 10 pages in a Google Doc, what have you. And each one of those pages represents one step on a journey of communicating an idea to someone using some of the aspects of visual storytelling. Now, you were asking, how do things change as we move to remote meetings? Think about this, Moira, for a moment. I was set out in a world to write this book where most of our meetings still took place in person. And for all of us that have ever spent too much time in meetings, we know that Probably 80% of what goes on in the meeting is nonverbal communication, things that are unspoken. Who's dressed the best? Who's sitting where at which table? Uh, Who's sitting next to the boss? Who's the most charismatic? Who has the best tone of voice? All of these other issues that give us a lot of context around the meeting, 
that tend not to be captured in the notes and yet more often than not are the most important part of the meeting. Well, think about this. All of those things are gone in a remote meeting. Someone's particular, what they're wearing or their charisma or their ability to carry a story, they matter, but they matter far less because we are remote. The only really powerful way we have of captivating each other's attention and moving beyond the nonverbal in a remote meeting is drawing. There are great tools available, depending on what type of computer platform you're on or what type of online meeting tool you're using. There are great tools available that allow us to represent pictures or draw pictures during the meeting. And so what I've done with Pop-Up Pitch is I've made a shift and I've said, where these ideas about telling a good visual story were important in the past, in this future world of remote meetings, they're mandatory. This is the one way, the drawing, that you can actually capture someone's attention in a remote meeting and hold on to that attention for the entire duration of the meeting. As long as you keep drawing and marking things up, even if the drawing's very simple, just like the little maps we created a moment ago, especially if the drawing's simple. As long as you keep that drawing going, you will never lose someone's attention in the online meeting. It's that powerful. Now, what are we talking about in terms of tools? Or, or are, you, are you able to, like, write it on a piece of paper and have it transformed? I, I guess I need a little more technical support here. Here to sure, figure Laura, out how to and, do and it. <laughs> I'm going to sound like an advertisement for uh, a particular brand of software. That's not my intent. I've been doing this for a long time, and as we know, that when we go into remote meetings, there's lots of different software we can use and lots of different platforms. And we'll talk about Zoom or GoToWebinar or GoToMeeting or Google Hangouts as the underlying platform. Most of those now have offered a whiteboarding feature which means that if you're in a Zoom or a Google Hangout or, or um, even GoToMeeting, uh, what have you, there is an option when you're sharing the screen to go to an online whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, during the live meeting, you can draw. And the more advanced versions of those, the, the more sophisticated versions, actually allow for the drawing to be collaborative, meaning I will make some marks over here in my blue pen, and then you remotely can make some marks over here in your red pen. And we can interact that way. So that's one option. It's not my favorite. My favorite, Moira, just to answer the technical question is, believe it or not, good old garden variety PowerPoint, the tool that 90% of people still have and still use, has a really powerful drawing capability in it. And I can explain now. I want people to visualize the next time you're in PowerPoint, if you're a PowerPoint person, open up your, your PowerPoint file. Go into slideshow mode, so presentation mode, and follow along with me. I know that these are radio listeners, but visualize with me. Roll your mouse over the lower left-hand corner of your PowerPoint screen in presentation mode, uh -huh. and you are going to see five little icons pop up. There's an arrow forward, an arrow back, and next to it is a pen. <gasps> I wondered click, what that was. If you click on that pen tool... It will say, do you want a pen or a highlighter? Select the pen. You can now draw all over your slide in as many colors as you want in real time. And that, Moira, is how I have written three out of my five books. I'm using, I create the underlying page in PowerPoint. The drawing tools are good. They're effective. And the best thing for an online situation, 
is you simply take over the screen and your Zoom or your Hangout or your GoToWebinar. You take over the screen, you present, you launch your PowerPoint, you launch your slide, and you begin drawing. You've been listening to Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy. We'll continue after a break. Podcasts of Tech Nation are available on NPR One, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast syndication outlets. Direct links are available at technation.com. In the second half of our show, Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy, continues to teach us how to depict our current lives and to draw our way to each of our personal futures. Stay with us. You're listening to Tech Nation. My guest today is Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy. He's here today to convince us there's power in our personal drawings, even more today in our unusual circumstances. You can now draw all over your slide in as many colors as you want in real time, and it's absolutely marvelous. Now, and here's a plug for anybody from Google who is a client of mine who's listening. Google Slides don't have this capability. Apple Keynote does not have this capability. It is, in my opinion, the single most important thing that they could add. Please, Google engineers, I'm begging you, please add drawing features into Google Slides. And I know you can do it because there's already a little um, uh, laser pointer option when you're presenting a Google Slide document you have a laser pointer. My Google friend engineers, please just enable tracing on that to stay so that I can turn what, what I was circling something into a drawing. Forgive me, Marva. That's my plug to the folks down in Silicon Valley. But please, it's very important. We've thrown the gauntlet down here. And <laughs> we're going you know, start to the, start the clock, the countdown clock from the time this airs until we can see it in, in absolutely every one of these. I think that while you were saying, well, I'm a little in the technical weeds, it's like people are like, yeah, I could... I could get that. And the idea that while you have this 
what is not dynamic, it's static on the screen, but you could start making notes and arrows and yeah, we're right here. You see that? And that's, that looks like this. And now we've started to draw, you know, we just did some drawing. You know, coming Moira, in I want to comment because I can see over your shoulder as you were just describing that. Yeah, listeners, you have to. I want you to see what I'm seeing. Moira was Moira was literally drawing those arrows in the air <laughs> as she was saying that. And this, I think, you're 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 illuminating the most important part of this visual thinking engine. It's what we already do anyway. Oh. Now we're just doing it pen on paper or stylus on computer. It's really powerful stuff. That's great. Should we do another drawing to Let's prove it? In do fact, it. Let's do it. Yeah. What's next? Okay, so same paper, our, different paper. Uh, no, let's grab a new sheet of paper. New For sheet. those of you who have it, uh, paper. It's a nice renewable resource. It's good right now. Paper is a good thing to use. Plus, you'll keep this. It's archival. So our first drawing was a where, a map. Now, let's shift just a little bit. Think a little bit differently. Not so much about where, but about who. Now we started this, but we're going to think more broadly. This one's going to take a little bit of time. On your piece of paper, I would like you to write down four words, four categories. Category number one is video. Write the word video somewhere on your sheet of paper. Then somewhere else on your sheet of paper, write the word phone. Somewhere else on your sheet of paper, write the word text. And then somewhere else on your sheet of paper, write, "Uh uh-oh, why haven't I called this person yet? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, the uh-oh list. The uh-oh list. Yeah. Now. Haven't called. Yeah. <laughs> the haven't called yet list. So now what I'd like you to do, go back to find wherever you wrote the word video on your piece of paper and draw a circle for the top three to five people who come to mind who you've been interacting with during quarantine and they each via get a circle? video. Just draw a circle for each one. This is the circle that represents Mary, and this is the circle that represents Quan, and this is the circle that represents Bobby, whatever it is. These, a little circle, and if you want to really be clever about it, give them a little emoji smile. (laughs) Okay. And if you want to be super clever about it, try to remember what Mary or Quan or Bobby actually look like and see if you can give them a little bit of a hairdo. See if you can make that little circle look like them. So, again, the idea here is... We're visually capturing and bringing to life those people with whom, over the last several weeks, we've primarily communicated via video. Now, you know, um, I'm just thinking, like, for instance, I have two sons. Each of them have a family. And frequently, we all FaceTime, you know, either just to one family or we all link up. But mm-hmm. I was thinking of just putting like, you know, three or four little circles, depending on which which family it was, and then saying them as opposed to a name for each of them. Oh, I like that. That's good visual shorthanding. That That is a great way to do it, Mara, because it's quicker. So draw a little clump of circles and call it, you know, family A. <laughs> you can be more personal. <laughs> I know son their names. A. I'm I, assuming I'm your sons familiar. have names. I named Rather them. than just son A and B. <laughs> the children I didn't, grandchildren I didn't name. But well, then did. just draw a bunch of little circles. How many grandchildren are there? there there'll be three, two in one family, okay. one in the other, and they're all tiny. So uh, it's very exciting here. So, um, so what we're um, hearing, Moira, is you are communicating with your sons and their families primarily via video. So FaceTime, yeah? Right. Well, I mean, that's one way, a very valuable way. It, uh, other than that, for these people, I also do a lot of text, but many of the video people I don't. But 
Uh, it's like it's a meeting. It's a it's a group. All the people in cyber, for instance, and mm-hmm. they're a group. So I'll put them on a little group. Uh, but you know, this is family. So you've got a couple of ways. Mostly right now, it's video and text. Very little phone. Okay. Well, let's do. Let's go to phone now. Okay. Wherever you wrote down. Think about this. When we might have to dig a little bit deeper into the who do we know well, who who who've we been talking to, but near where you wrote phone. Let's do the same thing. Let's draw little circles representing the people that, if you think about it, you primarily communicate with lately via voice. That's very interesting. That is. Don't want to read too much into it, but it might be something that's worth reflecting on. There's Obviously, a generational if... uh, mm. indicator there. Interesting. Who who are you talking to by voice? You don't have to name anybody. We don't have to get too personally. But who's who's coming up? I in would your never drawing? name Uncle Andrews, who just turned ninety, because he's one of the most <laughs> with it guys ever. <laughs> Not Uncle sure. Andrews. Oh no! Don't let him listen that I named him on air. But um, and we do do some FaceTime, but primarily it's just simple. We just call each other. You know. Okay. So that's phone. Versus video. So the video kind of broke down into sort of the personal FaceTime connections and then the business connections. Mm-hmm. What about you? I haven't asked you any questions. I'm the person supposed to be asking questions here, Dan. Well, <laughs> just like you, Moira, just like you, uh, my video clumping goes down into two groups. And it's been really interesting because the first group I wrote were the business people with whom I've done video conferences for years. Most of us probably have in one way or another. We didn't rely on it exclusively, which we now do. But video conference in my world has tended, tended to skew towards my business relationships. But what has really shifted and is reflected in my drawing is since COVID has started and we can't socialize with people with whom we have more uh, personal family relationships – those have shifted to Zoom, too. So it's it feels—I don't know how anybody else feels about it, but I never really used Zoom or Google Hangouts, FaceTime a little, but I never really used the video conferencing capabilities beyond my business uh, uh, contacts, right. and now I am. In fact, that's become the only way to uh, continue to work on things. But then I also realized that in personal relationships— there are some people that I prefer still to talk to by phone. Uh, I don't know why that is. Um, I think for myself, video, it's very hard to read people's emotions effectively for me via video. Uh, I, I, I mean, if someone's outright laughing or clearly sad, that's obvious. But I realize that when I'm in a conversation with someone in the real world, I'm I think like many of us are, trying to discern what is the person's emotional state. Yeah. And what I find is that for some people, that's actually easier to do without the video, just by phone. And I don't. I need to think about that. Why that might be so? I don't have an answer there. Don't does that? An how does that sit with that, you? Do you feel that, something similar? Yeah, that resonates with me. That resonates with me. And I find that the people that I do video for that are more the professional video kind of things, not the I, – I definitely want to see my grandchildren running around and, you know, throwing cereal and stuff. <laughs> you know, and see, Look, she can walk. She's running around. I like that. You know, you can't really do that on a regular phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I don't, uh, you know, if it's a meeting, frequently I need to be in front of my computer. So I'm bringing up an application that has a video part of it, and I also need access to all the information on my computer. Um, mm-hmm. And and I have to say in Silicon Valley, having your computer at a meeting is, is very uh, acceptable. But in many parts of the world, and, and you can just go, just go north to San Francisco, you have a meeting, you can't have your computer there. It's considered sort of insulting. And mm-hmm. now you have it there. <laughs> you can use oh, it all the time. Yeah. So it's like, ooh, that's that's changed a lot. Well, you know, Moira, you bring up something that it's all hypothetical at this point, but all of us are trying to, and we're going to draw a third picture here in a moment to this effect, but all of us are now trying to think ahead into what might our world look like, our personal world, our social world, the economic world, certainly our business world or our educational world. When we get to the other side of this COVID quarantine, what, whatever that even means, when that might be, what does it look like? We're all trying to anticipate. And I think it's safe to say that some of the things we're reflecting on right now, some of the changes are going to stick with us. I think it's safe to say that we will, now that we've gotten used to it, we will be doing a lot more meetings that used to be in person, probably remote. Uh, we've proven, I think, in many ways that they can be more effective than maybe we might have thought. Maybe our businesses are not as efficient as we'd like them to be, but it does feel like in many cases we're proving that, what do you know, we can actually get this done remote. It might not be optimal, but it can be done. So a lot of these lessons are going to stay with us. And I think to your point just a moment ago, what drives me to want a video with someone versus just want to talk with someone? And I think what's going to be really interesting when we emerge is who will be the first people that we can't wait to reconnect with, both in our personal lives and our business life. Who who will be the first meetings that we have? And that'll be kind of significant, won't it? It will be totally significant. You know, another thing we haven't talked about is the content of what's going on. And it's not just, you know, do you see a picture or not a picture or, uh, oh, no, we got to do this a different way. Uh, there's a re-strategy to what we're doing now. Um, I I have a group that we've been planning a, a big conference for for quite a while, and we're like, oh, I guess that's not going to be in, not going to really going to happen the way we thought it was going to happen. Do we just put it online, or do we really re-strategize what we're going to do in the next fifteen, eighteen months? Do we really rethink it? And this is opportunity for change. It brings me to to you, and I know that you are going to present at the South by Southwest conference. And you were really, this was really going to be an exciting time. And bingo, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. What happened to you? How did you, how did you pivot? We, that's, yeah. that'll, be the, that'll be the second word after draw. Okay. P- pivot it was, Moira. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. So um, my heart goes out to all of the attendees and fellow colleagues and, and presenters, everyone who loves South by Southwest that takes place mid-March every year and has gone on for, what, 18, 20 years at this point. I've been down there, oh, six or seven times over the last 10 years, and I was given the opportunity this time, as you point out, to actually open up what they call the author track at South by Southwest. So in addition to all of the other presentations that are going on, there's a stage that's dedicated towards authors uh, of books that are coming out or have just been released to have 30 minutes each to update audiences on what their book's about and how it's going. 
And I was invited to kick off that track with an hour-long session. It was going to be one of the highlights of my presenting year. And so like so many other people, one South by Southwest rightfully had to cancel. Huge, huge disaster, you know, economic misery for for Austin, just really sad. But when they had to cancel, um, among other things, of course, well, my, my talk was canceled. But I thought, you know what? Damn it, this COVID virus, it's really starting to piss me off. Uh, let's, go, let's go ahead and do the conference anyway, but let's do it remote. And so a number of us who had been uh, set up to do presentations just kind of on our own decided to go ahead and do them. So I set up a webinar um, for people who would have come to my live session, and I broadcast it through social media and through some of the South by channels. And the amazing thing was uh, about 450 people showed up to – that, which is more than probably could have fit into my live event. So in an, in a weird way, there was even more. There were more people showing up. So we did at the same time that the South by event would have gone on. I was able to launch and do a live webinar version of the same speech, shifted a little bit, uh, and we had a lot of people show up. And I introduced the book, which we talked about a moment ago, the pop up pitch. But more importantly, Moira, my intent had been, I want to write this book a little bit differently now. I'm not writing the pop-up pitch open source, but I am writing it collaboratively, which means that um, I've set up a writing calendar from now for the next eight to nine months. And once a month, a group of us get together, all aspiring writers, and I've got a couple of hundred people to sign up for this. Um, anybody who's got a book in them, a nonfiction book, who's interested, we're using my book and my writing process as the case study live. I'm introducing a new chapter each month. And then explaining a little bit of the process I went through in writing the chapter. And I know how to do it now. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm very happy. I've done six books. This is my sixth one. I know how to do this. And I know some tips and tricks on how to write a book. So what's been fabulous is the idea of opening it up to other aspiring authors. So we talk a little bit about where I am in my book, some tips and tricks that got me this far that might apply to other people who want to write. And then we spend the rest of the time reviewing the books that other people are working on, whether it's their table of contents, their working title, what is their writing schedule, uh, what tone of voice are they going to write in. There's a lot of decisions that an author needs to go through, especially in a nonfiction book. And it's beautiful to be able to walk people through it step by step as I'm doing it and to feel the support of them to me and me being able to then turn around and say, okay, we've got this whole community of writers all in the same place. Let's share it back and support you. So I, oh, it's still if, – if people still want to sign up, it's still open. It's going to be going on for the next nine months. And again, that's available through napkinacademy.com as well. You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm Moira Gunn, and my guest today is Dan Rome, the founder of the Napkin Academy. You know him from his many books on visualization, including the one he's currently writing, The Pop-Up Pitch. Today he's teaching how to draw our experience of now, a time in our lives we really didn't expect to see. Well, we have time for another drawing session. Let's do it. Are you ready for a complicated drawing now? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Lots I'm very professional context. now. I've just done two drawings. Okay. You are. Well, you're about to become total pro now on the third one. So first one was our where map. Our second one was our who chart. And now our third one is going to be a how picture. Now, for this one, please everybody grab a new sheet of paper, fresh sheet of paper. And I'm going to draw this one along with you. We're going to do it step by step. 
So what I need you to do on the lower left-hand corner of your sheet of paper in, let's say you've got a regular letter-sized sheet of paper, that's what I have, I'd like you to write the word yesterday down in the lower left-hand corner, yesterday. Now moving, you're at the bottom of your sheet of paper, moving along towards the right at about the midpoint of your sheet of paper, I'd like you to write the word today. And if we go over to the right side, still on the bottom of our sheet of paper, uh, Moira, what word do you think we would write? If our first was yesterday, the next was today, what do you think might be the next word? This afternoon. Okay, let's call it this afternoon. Let's <laughs> no. dig bigger. Let's call it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Write the word tomorrow. <laughs> or at least future. Okay. Maybe future. Might not be exactly tomorrow. What yeah, do you think? Okay, that's fine. Yesterday, t- t- today, and future. Perfect. And future. Now, we should have a sheet of paper with three <laughs> words on the bottom. Now, above the word yesterday, mm-hmm. let's see how this works. Audio drawing. I want you to draw a fairly good-sized square, maybe an inch and a half on a side, directly above the word yesterday. It's now got a square sitting above the word. Yeah. Now, above the word today, I want you to draw a triangle of about the same dimensions as your square. Okay. So maybe an inch and a half or so on the side. And then above the word tomorrow, I want you to draw a circle of about the same size. I'm going with you on tomorrow. No more future. I just did a cross okay. out. Okay. <laughs> Cooperating. Now, hold up your drawing, Myra. I'm going to look at it over your shoulder, see how okay. you're doing. Yeah, you see, I, I got I got changed on my commitments. But it's perfect. Like? It's, it's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. Okay. So, wow, that was good. So I know that audio controls of drawing, we can work. Now, the square obviously represents yesterday. That's the stable world. That's why we draw it as a square. That's the stable world of our life, our family, our business yesterday. Yesterday meaning two months ago, three months ago, when hopefully most of us thought we had a pretty good idea of what we did most days, and life was reasonably stable. The triangle sitting above today, what does a triangle represent, whatever it appears in the formula? Mara, you're a mathematician. Remind us, what does a triangle represent? Change. When it appears, change. change. Difference. And yeah. Why is it sitting above the word today? Because, boy, things are changing today. We are still in a period of great transition, and could we don't know for how much longer. We, maybe it'll in, in in soon. Maybe it'll go on for a long time. And then the circle over on the other side, that represents the unknown of what the future is going to be. Now, let's turn this into math. In between the square and the triangle, I would like you to draw a plus symbol. This is lower adding, math, guys. Don't freak out. Just yeah, a this plus is simple. symbol this is, between it's the a plus square symbol. and the triangle. Okay. So what we're actually doing is we're adding up yesterday plus today and then between the triangle and the circle, we're going to put the equal sign. So yesterday plus today is going to equal tomorrow. Ooh, how interesting is that? Now, what we've just done visually is we've created a little mathematical formula. You might call it a kind of a baby flow chart. Uh, and what I'd like us to do is in the square of yesterday... You don't have to do it right now. This might take some time. I think this is a drawing we should have people really put some some cycles into and process a bit because it can be important. I would like you to write in there two or three things that you knew yesterday to be true that gave you a sense of stability. I have a job. I know what my job is. I 
whatever it might be, a couple of things that made yesterday stable. Uh-huh. Yeah, got to think boys. about that. Yeah. Okay. And well, I don't think we're all going to finish known. our we're not going to change. I don't think we're going to finish our drawing. We're not. Session. But the, but we the can good do news. it. I am going to keep it and finish it. So that's it. So it's it's what gave me stability that I probably might have taken for for granted uh at some level, but uh but what gave me stability? Yeah. Okay. Some things that I knew yesterday. And now in this triangle that represents the change that we're going today. Let's write in a couple of things that are forcing us to change. What are some of the things that are presently great unknowns? Write down a few of the things that give us a profound sense of instability. A lot of people might not have their job right now, or they might be in a transition, or the job they had may have shifted. In the case of my own business, largely was made up of a lot of um, conferences and keynotes and face-to-face events, that's not going to happen for a while. So I need to think about that. And I'm sure many people have parallels as well. So what are some of the things right now today that are in flux or are unknown? Right. Good or bad. Scary or, or, or enthralling. And again, we won't be able to finish this now, but this is a great thought exercise. But all of it leads over to the circle on the right. Let's take what we knew to be true yesterday and some of the changes that are going on today and project them forward and imagine how might they add up to a list of three or four things that we think might happen tomorrow in the future. How's it going to be different? Yeah. Exactly to your point before, maybe... Maybe we will do more online meetings. Maybe they'll become the norm. Who knows? Yeah. But some of the things that might happen in tomorrow. Now, we call this the how drawing. How how is our mind processing change from what we knew in the past to what we hope or expect in the future? And this is one of the most powerful of all drawings. You can see just by drawing this simple square and triangle and circle, You can go all day now just by giving ourselves that little simple visual framework. You can put in all kinds of ideas. Well, we want everybody to send theirs in if they so desire or are part of it. You can redraw it. You can not draw it. You can... You can you can send it in and say I don't want you to post it, but I did want you to send it to send it to you to look at it, and uh, uh, we really look forward to that. And uh, Dan, thank you so much. You know you're always welcome on Tech Nation. Moira, it's been my pleasure. Moira, could I do one more shout out? It sure. might be fun. Do we have sure. time? Well, and, we'll and make y- it. you'll have to edit this or however you want to do it, of course. But I do want to call out during this COVID situation. There are some amazing people who are doing some powerful whiteboarding, and I wanted to give them kudos <laughs> if I could. Um, is that something we could talk about just for 30 seconds? Sure, sure. So, so Moira, one thing I'd like to just shout out to a couple of people. I don't know them, but I've seen them doing some awesome whiteboarding during this COVID time. There's a Representative Katie Porter from the 45th Congressional District in California. I don't know her. I don't know her politics. I didn't vote for her. But she has taken in Congress to being an incredible whiteboarder. 
So Kate, uh, Representative Katie is using her whiteboard. You can watch this on YouTube in uh, congressional testimony to get people to make agreements on what they are going to fund and what they're not going to fund in terms of giving people tests. It's beautiful. It's one of the first times I've seen a, a, a politician using a whiteboard effectively all the way since Ross Perot decades ago, if anybody remembers him. <laughs> and what's really funny is as I, I was watching, <laughs> yeah. I was watching Katie Porter and it turns out her sister – Dr. Emily Porter, I don't know these people, Emily Porter is down in Houston, and she is now the whiteboarding doctor. So inspired by her sister, here we have, you know, my brother and I have worked on our Vic the Virus. Here you have two sisters, Katie Porter and Emily Porter. Uh, and Dr. Emily Porter is using her whiteboard to explain everything around epidemiology, why we need to quarantine, what, are, what appear to be some of the morbidity rates, uh, mortality rates around covid Again, with a whiteboard. So I just – I don't know them, but I have to shout out they're doing an incredible job. And one more, just giving kudos where they belong. Dr. Duck Vuong, that's – his first name is D-U-C. His last name is V-U-O-N-G. Dr. Vuong is um, a general surgeon, also down in Texas. I happened to catch – he did an amazing whiteboard description of how COVID kills. And this was, uh, I was, we were looking at it as we were doing our Vic the Virus drawings. He's gotten 15 million views on his YouTube whiteboard of how it's, it's really good. So if anybody wants to see some of some people other than Dan putting their simple whiteboard sketches to work, um, these are some good ones and kudos to them for doing, doing bang up whiteboarding jobs. And thank you for doing that. That's, that, that's terrific. Well, my guest today is Dan Rome. He's the founder of the Napkin Academy. You may want to join his writing process, the pop-up pitch, which you can do on napkinacademy.com. You can also find all things Dan on danrome.com. That's Dan. Rome is R-O-A-M. And if you'd like, we'd love to see your personal personal drawings from what we did today. Email them to technationmedia at gmail.com or find our email address on the internet. We may even post a few. For Technation, I'm Moira Gunn. Tech Nation and its regular segment, Biotech Nation, are produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Executive producer is Matt Gardner. The director of technical production is Monte Carlos. And audio engineers include Howard Gelman, Seal Muller, and Larry Upton. Our theme music was composed by Ann Nochtrieb-Zessiger and Robert Powell, with title creation provided by NameLab Incorporated of San Francisco. Program information and Internet audio is available on the web at technation.com. Tech Nation and Biotech Nation are productions of Tech Nation Media. I'm Paul Lancourt.